guys, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this show as a free educational resource and you'd like to show your support, you can do so via Patreon. If you donate as little as $1 a month, that's less than what you'd pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to members-only episodes and other great prizes. But prizes aside, you get to walk away with the satisfaction of knowing that you're directly helping to sustain the output of this show. Every little bit adds up, I promise. So if you're so inclined, go to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted to find out more. Or just go to my website, wordsforgranted.com, and you can link from there. Thanks to Bobby and Michael, aka Question Mike, for their recent contributions. At this point, we are four episodes into this mini-series on the days of the week, and we've covered a lot of expositional detail. I'm not going to repeat any of it here, so if this is your first time listening to the show, um, welcome aboard, but also I recommend going back to the days of the week general overview episode before listening to this one. It's not very long, and it will give you some really important historical context for what I'm about to discuss today. If you're a Words for Granted regular and you haven't listened to it and aren't going to listen to it, I don't know why you wouldn't, but the most important thing for you to know is that the seven-day week was imported from Rome to the rest of Europe, and the names of the days of the week in English are based on loan translations of the names of the days of the week in Latin. So let's begin. In Latin, Thursday was known as Iois Dies, literally the day of Jupiter. As most of you probably know, Jupiter was the main patriarchal deity of the Roman pantheon. He was the god of the skies and was known to wield a powerful lightning bolt. The Romans identified Jupiter with their success as a nation and, eventually, as an empire. Until the spread of Christianity throughout Rome in the 4th century BCE, all of the most important religious sacrifices and auspices were made and taken in his name. Before we get into the etymology of the name Jupiter itself, I'd like to address why the Iois in Iois Dies doesn't resemble the English word Jupiter at all. First of all, classical Latin did not have the letter J, or for that matter, the J sound. Both the letter J and its associated sounds developed in the mostly unrecorded vulgar Latin dialects, which eventually gave way to the Romance languages. Both the letter J and its associated sounds are actually evolutions of the letter I and its associated sounds. If you've never studied Latin or the history of the alphabet, this may seem a little crazy, but it's true. The modern letter J is just a modified I. I'm saving the nitty-gritty of this story for another time in the near future, so for now, this brief explanation will have to do. If we substitute J in for the I in Iois Dies, which was spelled I-O-W-I-S, we get Jovis Dies. This still doesn't sound a lot like Jupiter or Iupiter, as the god was known in Latin. Well, that's because Iois is the genitive, or possessive form, of the noun Iupiter, 
In modern English, we almost always mark the possessive case with an apostrophe S, or an S apostrophe, but in Latin, this grammatical case wasn't so simple. Anyway, let's get on to the etymology of Iupiter. It's a bit complicated, and like the emergence of the letter J out of the letter I, I intend to cover this topic in greater detail in a future episode. The short of the story is that Iupiter is a vocative compound word in disguise that literally means Father Jove, or O Father Jove. In Latin, vocative is a grammatical case in which someone or something is being directly addressed, and it's sometimes translated into English with an invocatory O, hence O Father Jove. Let's break this down a little bit more. The father in the Father Jove translation comes from the Peter part of Iupiter. Peter is related to the Latin word pater, which not only meant father, but is also cognate with the English word father. Both words ultimately derive from the Proto-Indo-European root word approximately pronounced pachter, which meant father. The shift from the Proto-Indo-European P sound to an F sound is one of the most characteristic sound changes that took place in the Germanic branch of Indo-European languages. The Jove in the Father Jove translation comes from the EU in Iupiter. Jove is an anglicization of Ius, the oblique stem of the Latin name. The Latin ius comes from the Proto-Indo-European word dieus, which, as you may recall from the Monday-Tuesday episode, is believed to have been the personal name of the prehistoric sky god in the Proto-Indo-European religion. The god dieus passed into the Proto-Germanic language with the name tiwaz, and tiwaz is ultimately at the root of the word Tuesday. So, let's recap. Jupiter... Tuesday and Iois Dies, the Latin word for Thursday, are all cognates derived from the name of a single prehistoric god in the Proto-Indo-European pantheon. Just for fun, I should mention that the name of the Greek god Zeus also comes from this common root and is therefore cognate with these words as well. And since Romance languages such as Italian, French, and Spanish inherited Iois Dies as Jovedi, Judi, and Hueves, respectively, these words are also cognate with the English words Jupiter, Tuesday, and Zeus as well. I find this incredible. When the Julian calendar passed into the Germanic languages, the Roman god Jupiter was identified with the Germanic god Thunraz. Thunraz passed into Old English as Thor, and that's probably the name by which you know him best. Thor was the son of Odin, the main patriarchal deity in the Germanic pantheon. He was the god of strength, war, thunder, and storms. In fact, Thunraz actually meant thunder in Proto-Germanic, and it's the root word of the modern English word thunder, which makes Thor, Thursday, and thunder all cognate. The mutual association with thunder and lightning is what influenced the connection between Thor and Jupiter. Of course, Thor and Jupiter are not identical gods, and for that matter, neither are any two equivalent Roman and Germanic gods. 
I talk about this premise at length in the Wednesday episode of this podcast. Anyway, the common Germanic term for Thursday was Thunras Dagas, and Thunras Dagas passed into Old English as Thunresdag. During the Old English period, the TH digraph, which represents the th sound, was not yet in use. The th sound actually had its own letter called thorn. It looked like a capital letter P with the loop in the middle of the stem instead of at the top of the stem. Thunrestag did not acquire the TH spelling until the Middle English period, thanks to the influence of French orthography on the English language after the Norman Conquest. However, by then, Thunrestag had evolved into Thursday, which, in spite of its long U sound, was spelled identically to the modern English word Thursday. So, how did we get from Thunresdag to Thursday? Well, in addition to Thunresdag, the Old English written record also attests Thursdag and Thoresdag as variant pronunciations. This suggests that the N consonant in Thunresdag began to disappear before the Middle English period. Linguists have proposed two theories to explain this. The first is that both Thursdag and Thorisdag are direct etymological continuations of Thunrestag that evolved as regional contractions of the word. Plain and simple. Dropping the N made these variant pronunciations easier to pronounce and languages, especially English, gravitate toward easier and easier pronunciations over time. However, the more likely scenario is that the unanimous emergence of an endless pronunciation of Thursday was influenced by the North Germanic languages, particularly Old Norse. When Danish Vikings began invading England beginning in the 9th century, they spoke Old Norse, and during the period of the Danish rule over England, Old Norse greatly influenced English. English did not only borrow Norse loanwords, but it also borrowed features of Old Norse grammar and pronunciation. Even though Old Norse and Old English were distinct languages, they were both Germanic languages, and at this point in the ancient past, there would have been a degree of intelligibility between the two languages. Anyway, the Old Norse word for Thursday was Thorsdager, and as you can hear, there's no N in there, and the trend of this pronunciation could very well have crept its way into Old English. All of the words for Thursday in the modern Germanic languages share an etymological history linked to the god Thor. Some words, such as the Danish and Norwegian Thorsdag, have dropped the N, while others, such as the Dutch Donderdag and German Donnerstag preserve the older form with the N. Now, I don't speak any other non-English Germanic language, so my pronunciation here is not very authentic, but I think you can get the idea. All right, that's a wrap for Thursday, so let's move on to Friday. In Latin, Friday was known as Dies Veneris, literally the day of Venus. Venus which was pronounced Venus in Latin, was the goddess of sex, love, lust, seduction, fertility, and victory. Given her sexuality, she was often depicted nude. 
She had many lovers, both mortal and divine, and many religious rites were performed in her honor. The name Venus derives from the Latin word Venus. Rather appropriately, the Latin name of the goddess is identical to the common Latin noun for sexual desire or love. Beyond Latin, we can trace the word Venus back to the Proto-Italic root Venus, which meant to love or to desire. This root also produced the Latin word venerari, meaning to honor, which passed into modern English as venerate. One of the negative things about sexual lust is that you might catch an STD, aka a venereal disease. The word venereal derives from the goddess Venus, and therefore ultimately derives from this root word venus as well. Keeping this theme of negativity going, the Latin word venenum, which passed into modern English as venom, also derives from this same root word. You might be wondering how a poison affiliated with snakes could derive from a root word meaning to love and desire. It's a stretch, but it's believed that the original sense of the word was something like love potion. From there, the word developed a sense of lust and desire, and then the modern sense of poison. I guess the connection is that unchecked lust and desire are like poisons that can bring a person to their demise. So, to recap, the modern words Venus, Venerate, Venereal, and Venom are all cognate, deriving from the Proto-Italic root word Venus, meaning to love. Of course, they're also cognate with dies veneris, the Latin word for Friday, and all of its modern Romance language descendants, such as the Italian venerdi, the French vendredi, and the Spanish viernes. If you're wondering why the Latin words we're discussing begin with a W sound, while their modern English and Romance derivatives are pronounced with a V sound, it's because, in Latin, the letter V was pronounced like the modern English letter W. So, the Latin word Venus is actually spelled identically to the English word Venus. When the Germanic tribes adapted the Julian calendar from the Romans, they identified the foreign goddess Venus with the common Germanic goddess Frio. Thus, the common Germanic term for dies veneris was translated as Frio's dagas. The name Frio passed into Old English as Frig, thus producing the word Frigadag. The variant pronunciation Friga is also attested for the name of this goddess. The addition of the A suffix at the end of the name was a way of grammatically rendering it feminine. In modern English retellings of Germanic myths, the names Frigg and Frigga are both used. Frigg was the wife of Odin, the chief deity in the Germanic pantheon. For a goddess of such high status, the primary sources written about her are relatively scarce. What we do know is that she was a goddess of wisdom, secret knowledge, and married love. Unlike Venus, she was not a sexual or seductive deity, so the association between these two goddesses is not fully accurate. Like I mentioned a few minutes ago, back in the episode on Wednesday, I explained the inherently imprecise nature of identifying the deities from one culture with the deities of another culture. Linguists generally agree that the name Frigg derives from the Proto-Germanic word friona, meaning to like, to love, or to be free. 
This word also produced the modern English words free and friend. So if you go out on a Friday night with your friends to get uh, free, you're manifesting some very ancient Germanic etymology right there. In Old English poetry, the word frig, which is ostensibly affiliated with the goddess, is used as a common noun for love. Some scholars have also proposed that Frigg and Freya, the latter of which is a sexual goddess unique to the North Germanic pantheon, ultimately derive from the same deity. Some compelling evidence for this is that the Old Norse language had words for Friday named after both Frigg and Freya. Actually, in modern Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish, all of which are descendants of Old Norse, the word for Friday is Freydag, which continues the tradition of Freya's day, not Frigga's day. But since the names Frigg and Freya are not etymologically connected, and this podcast is about English, not Norse, any further discussion of Freya does not really have a place in today's story. The modern English word Friday is first attested during the Middle English period. It would have been pronounced something like free day, but the spelling would have been the same. The sound shift from the free in free day to the fry in Friday was a result of the great vowel shift, a phenomenon that affected the pronunciation of English vowels from the 14th through the 17th centuries. The G in Frigadag seems to have disappeared during the early Middle English period, too, and there isn't a whole lot of linguistic commentary on this. Like the loss of the letter N as Thunresdag evolved into Thursday, it's likely that Friday emerged as a contracted form of Frigadag simply because it was easier to say. All right, thanks for listening. I hope you loved the show. Next time, we'll be wrapping up our investigation of the days of the week with Saturday and Sunday. And then, finally, we'll be able to move on to something new. Until then, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach me at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. And if you love the show, I would love to remind you to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes. It may take a minute or two of your time, but believe me, positive reviews really, really, really help the show grow. Okay, I'll see you next time here at Words for Granted.